Welcome to Politically Pissed. My name is Saeed Charbini, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Simon and Katya. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Yes, Happy New Year. It's going to be a wonderful year. And we have a special guest with us today. His name's Theo Wilson. Theo, we just want you to join us today to talk about some of your past and things that you've done. Can you maybe run through some things that you've done recently or things that you're proud of or sort of give us a little bit of a CV for yourself. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on here. Basically, my work is with the community. I focus primarily on the African-American community with a group called Shop Talk Live. We use the barbershops in the community as a staging ground for important community dialogues. It's a natural indigenous place for folks to come and be honest about how they're feeling. And what we did was take what was already there and simply organize it into a system at which we could actually dissect in real time the issues that are affecting us and rebuild relationships that are broken. So that's what I'm doing as the executive director of Shop Talk Live. And the rest of it has just been touring universities and talking about race in the digital age and specifically how it shows up in the Trump era. So you actually do speaking tours? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you have any upcoming dates or anything like oh, that? Oh, goodness, yeah. I am <laughs> flying. Uh, you know, this is uh, what they call Black Artist Employment Month coming up. <laughs> so nice. specifically Martin Luther King Day in February. Yeah. So I've got, I'm going to Ithaca, New York, Syracuse. I'm going to Ohio coming up soon, uh, Michigan. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's it's a whirlwind. And it's a lot, but I'm happy to make my living like this and connect with folks, especially the youth, which are the immediate future if you're talking about college, you know. Yeah. Well, first of all, first of all I want to thank you again, Theo, for joining us. It's yeah. so cool to have a nationally renowned speaker right here on our podcast, which is typically listened to by, by locals. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we fail to recognize the local talent that exists, mm -hmm. although you know, folks like you are so known nationally. And if I'm not mistaken, you know Amal Kassir. Oh, yeah. Who used to do slam poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, I consider her a sister. It was sad to yeah. see her, you know, move out of Colorado. But I hope she will, you know, she'll come back. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, At least visit somebody. You know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe at the end of the program, if there is time, we'll ask you to, to share some of your own um, slam poetry. But what I wanted to ask is your incredible work that I heard about on a TED Talk, which is sort of infiltrating the mm -hmm. dark uh, or the deep web of, of mm -hmm. white supremacists. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us why you did it and what you found? Yeah. Light in, okay, so in the time that I did this, it was 2015 going into 2016. So just to give you, you know, historical backdrop, you know, because I know it wasn't too long ago, but imagine Obama's still president. Mm. Trump is starting to gain momentum, but we don't know if he could win. And there's a seemingly growing backlash towards the police brutality on uh, the internet and it's, it's formulating under this uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a debate kicked off called what they call All Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, I joined the fray making viral videos and I didn't know that I could go viral like that, but the way the algorithms and Facebook was set up back then, it was like instantaneous. And as I was attracting more of a platform, listeners and people who wanted to debate me or share what I had to say, uh, there were various, should we say, um, race, I'm just going to call it, it was racist people that got on my videos and began to give me the same misinformation mm. from different angles. And it's what clued me in that there being the existence of an echo chamber. Nobody was talking about echo chambers at that time. Nobody was talking about bubbles. You see what I'm saying? So, so you could tell that they're like talking points that everyone yeah. was using them. And they were completely erroneous, or at least according to my worldview. So I started to wonder what was going on. And at that time, I had a friend who worked with me at Shop Talk Live. His name's Quincy Hines. Quincy worked for an internet marketing firm. And he's like, yo, they track everything that they do, that you do on the internet so that they oh, can yeah. market to you better. And after a while, it's called the echo chamber effect. He told me about it. And I, I was shocked that how I was viewing the world might not necessarily be how everybody views the world, specifically because of these algorithms. So I decided to trick it. 
And I didn't think of it as anything big. When I was getting trolled by these white supremacists, they had fake accounts. And so when I created a fake account, I didn't think it was a big deal. I promise to God, I'm shocked that I'm speaking about this right now. Because I don't think that setting up the Lucius 25 account, at least on YouTube, because my job at the time had firewalls to stop me from getting on Facebook all the time. Sometimes you could, sometimes you couldn't. But you could always get on YouTube, which is a portal to the dark web. I didn't know that. So when I created the fake profile on YouTube, I don't think it took me no more than 10 minutes, bro. Seriously. And what happened was all of these white supremacist websites that the firewalls of my job blocked, they had YouTube channels. And so as I was getting trolled by racists on my real Facebook page as Theo Wilson, as my avatar, Lucius25, I would say the things that they would say to me and just kind of throw it out there as chum in the water, see how many sharks would come. And then before I knew it, I was getting applauded, hand clapped, and I would look at the size of these like, I would look at the size of these like bubbles. Like I would look at the size of number one, the likes on the videos. I would look at the size of the followings. I would look at the size of the shares on certain things. And I was like, this is huge. Mm -hmm. And nobody on my side of the web is really talking about how big this is. And for eight months, you know, I lived my life. Like, you know what I'm saying? This wasn't like undercover work like a police officer would do. It was just something I did. And then I shut it down for my mental health, you know what I mean? So it was just something that I'm surprised I had any cultural significance. So, yeah. Did, did something productive come out of it that you felt particularly proud? Like, were you able to convert someone or was it not part of your mission? That wasn't my mission at the time, bro. Like I said, I didn't think it had any socially redeeming value. It was more like the first and most important thing I got from it was, investigatively speaking, I was able to get talking points for Shop Talk Live to spice up the debate because I knew that if I'm holding these uh, forms in the black community, generally people are going to be like-minded. Generally people are going to be, I guess, more left-leaning in politics mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, prone, more prone to support a Democrat than a Republican, more prone to, you know, be somebody who's a social justice fighter than somebody who's anti-social justice. So if I bring these spicy little talking points from over here at the actual live Shop Talk events... This is going to, you know, like flesh out some uh, deeper and more productive dialogue. That was the only redeeming value I could think of at the moment of doing it. Mm -hmm. Can I ask? Yeah. Uh, if you're comfortable with it, can you share some of the terminology or something like that? I mean, just just so we know and we yeah, can be on yeah. the lookout for it. Well, listen, uh, the first thing I noticed they kept saying was SJW. I was like, what the heck is an SJW, yeah. bro? You know what I'm saying? And they kept using this term, and it was like, SJW is social justice warrior. That's the first thing that they kept throwing around. And they were using it ironically. They, oh. they, they weren't using it like a real social justice warrior, like somebody who actually fights for peace like Dr. King or something. Yeah. They was actually like, oh, these ironically social justice warriors in my face trying to correct me. Uh, I remember the term cuck being thrown around. Cuck is a term meaning... Like uh, cuckold? Like cuckold, meaning oh, you're a guy who likes to watch other men have sex with oh your woman. God. And that was actually... The racist terminology of cuck was, as a white man, you shouldn't let no black man, no brown man have any play with white women. You should be somebody... I mean, hypothetically, in terms of the uh, phraseology of the word cuck, you should be warrior enough in your whiteness to not allow... A black man to be more manly than you, you know what I'm saying? And so only white threesomes. Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> only white threesomes. Dude. I mean, straight up, because and like we could actually get into why the term "cuck" is such a scary concept for these cats, because that leads into the idea. Uh, the, the the next idea is perfect lead into this is white genocide, mm. and the idea that the depleting numbers population-wise of white people is a uh, result of race mixing, they think. You know, that they thought that, you know, when white women have sex with black men specifically, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he was a white guy having sex with a black woman, that wouldn't really be the problem for them. If he was a white woman having sex with marrying black men, brown men, then that meant that you had killed, hypothetically, a white person by having a baby that was non-white. So, cuck and white genocide are actually linked and, of course, white genocide, the term is absolutely erroneous. It's ridiculous. There's not a nation on this world with the military capability to wage genocide against any white nation. Almost all white nations are nuclear armed. So first and foremost, that term is asinine. Mm -hmm. Secondly, that term is a result of them being anti the correction to oppression, meaning anti-affirmative mm -hmm. action. 
they framed the correction to oppression, right? Uh, diversity programs, inclusion. Mm. They framed that as oppression when those are tools yeah. meant to reverse oppression. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'm, as you may know, I'm Armenian, and, and yeah. that's an insult yeah. to me right. to hear the word genocide. Through it, through it. Yeah. Right? Used like that, you know, as if yeah. it's, you know, if, if you have diversity, that's somehow genocide. No, it's Correct. Genocide is the opposite when you want to remove an entire, you know, people right, from right. the face of the earth. To, to aggressively and intensely do that. And no group can really do that to white people as it stands militarily, politically right now at all. Well, definitely know? not in this country. Yeah, not in not this country. in this world, really. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. No, I completely agree with it. Thank you for sharing some of those, yeah. Yeah. But can you tell us any more experiences you had from that? It seems like you, you took that and sort of ran with it and incorporated it into what you do. How how was the response to that? Man, let me tell you something. I'm still riding the roller coaster of it right now. Like it's insane, bro. When I got asked to do the TED talk, I I was in the TEDx circle anyway because of poetry, spoken word. I had been on that stage three or four times already, doing poems in between the speakers, and the response was great. And I had already gone viral on my own page, doing uh, you know my own online activism adding to uh, the debate for black lives. And then I was already active in my community. So there's like, how about, y'all con- how about you contrast what online activism looks like versus what in-person, real life, flesh and blood activism looks like. I submitted my script, had a very, very small portion about going undercover as a white supremacist because I thought it was silly. And when I uh, got it reviewed, they were like, what's this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is something stupid I did. I wanted to talk about quantum computing. Oh, wow. And my thought process was quantum computing is so powerful that if we don't mature as a species, we will destroy ourselves with this technology. And I thought it would be cool to see a young black dude talking about quantum computing that's going to blow their mind. They was like... No, 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 no. Talk about this undercover thing. (laughs) And I said, I was Lucius 25. It was something that I did in order to get a more uh, clear understanding of the size of the alt-right movement. But I didn't think it was deep. Anyway, back to quantum computing. They they was like, (laughs) and then they, and then they was like, "Uh, brother, which one do you know about more about race in America or quantum computing? I was like, that's, come on, (laughs) man. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Of course I know about more race in America. And and that's what I did. So what happened was, they filmed it July of 2017. And they said it'd be out in three weeks. Three weeks that one out. Four weeks of one out. Five weeks of one out. And then they told me, hey, yours is among the few from TEDx Mahada were selecting, wondering if we're going to put one of these on the big TED page. Oh, wow. And that just happened to be Charlottesville weekend. Oh. And so the TED selection committee must have looked at all of them and said, this is the one that goes up. Wow. A million views the first day. 15 million overall. And that's just on uh, the Facebook site. And then uh, another 4 million on TED.com. Uh, and that's just when the roller coaster in the whirlwind started, you know. And I, I, I wasn't ready. <laughs> so y- you're not the first one, right, to have tried to, you know, either talk directly or undercover with, you know, um, racists. No, There's no, no, Daryl no. Davis on the East Coast. Who's, I met him, yeah. Um, yeah. When did you meet him? I, I met him in September of 2017. We both spoke at NYU together. Oh, wow. He was, was on the same panel. Yep. That's, Dar- Davis. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, met yeah. <laughs> I met him for the first time in 2007 when wow. he was in, or actually maybe in earlier in, in Denver, and that was a very inspiring speech mm. and his book as well. Um, so he has an interesting approach, right? He actually engages them and tries to show, you know, the, the absurdity of racism. But last time we, we met in another event, you know, you taught me about another local hero, Dr. Joseph Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the audience about Dr. Westbrook and what you think should be done with his legacy? Dr. Joseph Westbrook was the first black man that I know of to infiltrate the KKK. He did it back in the 30s and 40s, I believe. He was a very fair-skinned, light-skinned black man. He's what you would call passing. But his infiltration and in gathering data is what saved a lot of lives in the black community because he kept the black community a step ahead of the Ku Klux Klan here in Denver. And so when we talked about the renamed Stapleton debate, I was thinking like, why don't we just name this neighborhood Westbrook? Why don't we name it after the person who actually low-key got the better of Benjamin Stapleton? He's a real Colorado hero, unsung. He deserves a monument, not Stapleton. So that's how... You know uh, that that came to came to pass. Yeah. 
I have so many questions, but the one that is top of my mind yeah. is in this this heated time of so much identity politics, how do we beat Donald Trump? Oh man, Donald Trump gonna beat himself if he ain't careful. But I think that we oftentimes, so Donald Trump is kind of an enigma because he's both bigger and smaller than he appears. So in a certain way, idealistically, the destruction that he's doing, the democratic backsliding, the challenging and the stress testing of our institutions as a democracy is huge. His impact will be long, long after he leaves office. But in terms of who actually voted this man in the office, it ain't that really many people. In fact, uh, he lost the popular vote by three million votes. We know that. And he has burned so many bridges in the Rust Belt. He's burnt so many bridges under, uh, first of all, the agricultural sector, farmers losing all kinds of land, steel, the tariffs uh, are kicking people, especially in the automotive industry. Um, he's betrayed a lot of people and they're starting to see it. All that needs to happen from the left, the Democrat side, is to actually follow through with being the, pe the, the party of the people. Here's what happened. Obama actually played a small role in Donald Trump getting elected. And what that was was he spoke the language of I feel your pain. He spoke the language of like, I'm for the little guy. But the truth is, is that he was corporate elitist low key. He didn't throw nobody in jail who was responsible for the crash of 2008. Not nobody. So when you have that and he rides main, more for Main Street than Wall Street, and he's a Democrat, and he's a black man, and he's like well-spoken and articulate, it seems like he is the corporate power to rebel against, when in fact he was matching and mirroring the corporate power that the Republicans set up under Reagan and extended under Bush. You feel me? I'm so glad you're saying this. Thank you. In, yeah. No, no problem. I love that so many times. Yeah. Had, o had Obama, let's say he came into office in 2009, and he pulled an FDR, it used the federal funds to bail out the actual mortgages Absolutely. and not the mortgage companies. You're going to have the Rust Belt for life. You're going to have Middle America for life mm -hmm. because you kept actual people in their homes. You feel me? But he didn't do that. He rolled corporate. So they began to associate everything left-leaning as corporate and anti-the little guy. And Trump rode that pony all the way into the White House. So now you got to actually stand up for the little guy. Now you got to actually initiate policies that will help rescue people whose mortgages is underwater and all of that good stuff. We'll actually bring back jobs. If they on cold, get them on green and actually pay them livable wages. You don't have to do it, not talk it. No, you're absolutely correct. And I think that sentiment is exactly why so many people don't like either side. Right, for and real. the emerging unaffiliated sort mm -hmm. of party, I guess you could say. It's, it's an overwhelming number of people that could swing an election in any direction. Correct. Which is why low-key Bernie Sanders has really got folks Killing on spook it. even more than Elizabeth Warren because Bernie Sanders, he's like, I'm actually independent, y'all. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, I mean, he's the one who started this talk and he keep rising to the top because that's his integrity. And I feel that changed, he, he ain't never changed. If you go back to 80s, he's saying the same thing. 90s, he's saying the same thing. Thousands, he's saying the same thing. You feel me? So a president... They may lie, and they may be backstabbing, but one thing a president going to bring to the White House are their habits. Mm -hmm. That's what they always bring. So you got to look for consistency and what it would look like once put into the presidential super Iron Man suit mm -hmm. and given the reverberations that that office gives across history. I have one concern about Sanders is his policy in Latin America. Oh, that's real. I mean, go 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 ahead. Because he is supporting uh, left-leaning dictators, mm -hmm. Evo Morales in Bolivia, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Lula in Brazil, mm -hmm. and I'm worried that he will support Maduro in Venezuela. Maduro, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a powerful thing. You know what I'm saying? Every politician got their drawbacks, straight up. You feel me? And so when you put this human into the monstrous power of the United States presidency, mm. there will be consequences and repercussions. Uh, you know, a lot of people have only considered Bernie in a domestic policy sense, but what about a mm. geopolitical policy sense? And so I think that those are good questions to be raised. But you talked about how to beat Trump here. You know, mm. like, they ain't going to vote for him here. You know what I'm saying? We voting for him here. Mm. You know what I mean? And so that's how you beat him in, in that respect but I think that your concerns are legitimate especially if you got blood connections to these folks mm. you know what I'm saying because what happens is if you mess up them they come in here 
In instability here is what drives the migrants. Instability there is what drives the migrants here. Absolutely. So you, you have a right to be concerned about and I, that. And I would go back to Obama. I think that was another one of his downfalls is Come he on. wasn't really geopolitically mm. intelligent. He no. Like, he wasn't familiar with a lot of the background that a lot of these countries and cultures have. Armenia, Turkey. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, not only that, but Obama, he ended up becoming more of a war hawk in many ways than Bush Absolutely. did. And one of the reasons why I could not vote for him in 2012, I voted for him in 08 because, I mean, he was like Michael Jackson, Mick Jesus yeah. out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you couldn't, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? He was an unstoppable force of nature back in 08. Absolutely. But 2012, I began to see, like, when I had, uh, I, I read the New York Times talked about what it takes to be identified as an enemy combatant for a drone strike mm. and the only qualifier was adult and male yep. that was it and with that from the sky they could vaporize you and right. every person and, and around you and they weren't you. just adults they're, they're yeah. kids too yeah right? yeah straight straight right 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 right. so it's a missile yeah it's, it's, it's just a missile so weddings preschools mm. nothing's off limits and when I saw that I was like I can't put my signature on this I feel bad for doing it the first time like I didn't know what this game was so that's why I couldn't really back him the second time but that's that's what it is. I had to have integrity to me not wanting to be part and parcel to no more killing, you know? Mm -hmm. Who'd you vote for? Hold on. I, I went third party that <laughs> year. I went third party in the month. Well, I was not a citizen in 2008, and, and mm -hmm. I was so excited for for President Obama. And mm -hmm. 2012 was my first chance I could vote, mm -hmm. and so yeah. it was more like a 2008 vote. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean... I mean, if it's if it him or Romney, you know, then it's, yeah, it's Romney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I felt like, the same way about Clinton and uh, Trump. And, 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 two. Yeah, so Clinton and Trump was a tough one for me <laughs> because, <laughs> like, I am a black man who was born in the 80s, meaning I was an adolescent in the 90s. And in the 90s is when Hillary Clinton dropped that super oh, predator narrative yeah. yes. about black men being... And I remember when it came out. I remember the news programs. I remember the term super predator being thrown around. I remember the news three reports. Three strikes and all Yeah, that. three strikes and all of that. Like, I remember, you know, uh, Homie's Big Brothers getting caught up in that. Like, I seen what the effect was on the hood. And I remember navigating police with super predator in their eyes when they pulled me over. And so Hillary Clinton low-key and the Clintons in general have not been friends to the African world mm. and the black world in general has suffered under them if you look at the numbers of black men in prison whatever steady rate they've been growing from 1865 to 1992 that doubled between 92 and 2000 so whatever that was meant that he was locking up brothers left and right and I couldn't stand that for her to get in there. But at the same time, I knew Trump was a blatant racist and yeah. that his policies was going to embolden these people. Mm -hmm. And it did. And, and the repercussions uh, of, of, you know, the uh, imprisonment of so many African-American men and, and, and others, we, we face it today. I mm -hmm. met a, a homeless man um, in, in my area and I was like, you know, how can I help you? I know a lot of resources. Let's go get you, a, you know, mm -hmm. sign up for, you know, this wait list. I know it'll be a year. He's like, no, I can't because I have a, a record. A and it was something minor he had done when he was a young man and now he Probably had to like be, drug related. Yeah, like yeah. It was, yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? And Which, so okay. are you aware of any local efforts uh, for a second chance or clear act? Programs that we I know should. Denver and Boulder have done removing of mm -hmm. possession charges for marijuana, at least at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Hancock just did that less than a year ago. He'd been mm -hmm. mayor since 11, but whatever. This is true. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like um, and also, you know, there's a place here called the Second Chance Center run mm -hmm. by a brother named Hassan Latif. And he, uh, and along with brothers like Reverend Leon Kelly, really focus on getting brothers back on their feet even with a record, like they're connected to people who will hire a felon, you feel me? So Hassan Latif specifically is a brother around here who does that kind of work, you know? Now my friend Saeed is uh, a marijuana lawyer as well mm. as a public defender. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, he does the Lord's work, as I say. Mm -hmm. uh, and my, I was also talking with my friend Anna today. She, we lived in Chicago and there, as you know, they legalized weed yesterday i believe Damn. and Damn. uh it's a big deal and as it was in denver right. and now everybody there are lots of people of every different ethnicities lining up for uh, to get uh recreational weed mm -hmm. and, it, and it just strikes me 
because my father's an attorney and he represented so many pe- black men mm-hmm. for years and years and years and they went to jail for possession 20 years 30 years mm-hmm. as how unfair this is yeah, slavery yo Period. It really is. Uh, and we, didn't, we had to vote just recently to remove slavery. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, my boy Jamoka Emery wrote that law, mm-hmm. actually, and got it passed. But, like, I think that what happens, and here's the issue in America right now. The issue is that it never unlearned its two original sins. America never unlearned slavery, and it never unlearned genocide. Never unlearned them. The first sin was not slavery, but genocide. Mm-hmm. You had to clear the land before you could put a plantation on it. And America learned that if somebody in your way and they got what you want, kill them, period. America never unlearned cheap labor. Get it however you can. You see what I'm saying? And so it's always going to be, it's always grappling with these. Beneath the surface, beneath the veneer of the prosperity and the Madison Avenue, uh, you know, corporate, shiny culture that look like, you know, Times Square or whatever. Beneath all that, there's cheap labor and then kill anybody in your way. And that is something that I think all of us probably have roots in places where they did that. All of us got roots in places where they did that. You feel me? Like, I am the descendant of the enslaved. You know, there's DNA working in my body that was working in a slave's body. That's facts. You see what I mean? And I, and I have to deal with the fact that the country still sees me as that most of the time. When I look at what happens to, for example, like Arab Americans, especially post 9-11, mm-hmm. I, see a new, I see a new lynch mob. I can speak to that. I didn't yeah. go through an airport once. for It took a decade yeah. before I can go through without being stopped. Yeah. Tell that story, Saeed. I grew up in the military. Tell that like, story. Like, my mother's a soldier. Yeah. Like, yeah. we traveled around the world for this country. Mm-hmm. We, we, it's, it's just been annoying because I, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, like, the lynch mob never died, feel no, me? Never. The, the first time the lynch mob was in, employed, it was just employed against the big black buck. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The fear that black men were rapacious and thirsty for white women's flesh, right? Mm-hmm. And those lynch mobs took out thousands upon thousands of us, you know what I mean? Yeah. And now that lynch mob got turned to y'all. That lynch mob was like, yo, now yeah. these uh, terrorists, blah, 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 they don't want to know no nuance. They don't want to, they don't care about whether or not you was raised here or from there, whether you was escaping terrorism. They don't care about none of that. You brown and you look like what I was told on the movies and the TV is my enemy. Yep. And now it's towards uh, Latin Americans. Absolutely, because it's still, it, and it's still the same thing. Latin mm-hmm. Americans, because that's a new thing about the addiction to cheap labor. It's still That's a really good point. It's still the same addiction. Like when I look at the fact that the fear is that Latinos, Latinx people will come over here and take all the job. Fact is, white men ain't had their job damn near ever. And before the <laughs> and, and, and before the black and before brown people had that job, the black man had that job. Period. True. So, what what's happening is that if you take away the Latinx like people who are in this country, what twelve million or so. Mm-hmm. Paying like eleven billion dollars in taxes, mm-hmm. paying into the system, eleven billion dollars in taxes compared to how Amazon didn't pay nothing last year. Zero. Right? See, like all these companies pay nothing. Right, right. So they can't like they their racism hates you, but they can't afford to lose you. We remember that. <laughs> we clearly yeah. remember that situation. They racism hates you, but they can't afford to lose you. So those policies are conflicting with the culture and they don't know what to do with themselves. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And it just comes out as pain on either side for the person who was in the crosshairs. Ironically, my husband works for Amazon part-time. That's all the chain ain't. And uh, he's Peruvian. Yeah. And his tire got slashed by a, a someone who doesn't like Latinos in mm. our parking lot. Mm. And that was last week. However, I do have to say that a... a two white men did help us out mm-hmm. and really in our apartment complex so not mm-hmm. every white person is is our enemy no and and nor and nor have they ever been but n- not every white person has to be racist for ev- for racism to affect every black or brown person so l- let me ask though I, we always talk about what's wrong what the problems are and stuff like that do you have any ideas for like solutions or things you might think help like yeah this and i just I, it just dawned on me like this. America, you could do things the easy way or you could do them the hard way. 
Either way, it's a very real reality that we could try. Either you do doing my caller like the Bernie Sanders way or you do it the revolutionary way. It's, it's either Bernie or burn it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 That's a good one. And, 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 and like, be, be, because in, I don't mean Bernie the actual man, all right? I'm talking about the ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking about the ideas. You have to reinstate the middle class or else. You have to have policies that lift up the poor. I said that the economy is not some god. It's not this all-knowing entity. It's a machine like any other thing. We built it. And the, and the machine's default settings right now are to make the 1% richer. Mm. That's the default settings. You have Isn't to change that, these default settings or there else. There's more wealth in the 1% than there is in the bottom 50? Yeah. And, and in fact, when you look at it right now, they then like they have over 50 percent the one-tenth of one percent has was, yeah. has like more than 50 percent of all new income being made yes and when you look at how many number of people this is you could fit them all in the stadium and have seats left Plenty like that's who like that's how few people this is right and so these policies you would think that you could just do this and them being so few a number they just you could snatch the bottle out this baby hand but you can't do that because these people are operating under a system that is built for them. If you don't change the default settings of this system, if you don't have and here's what happened, if you don't have what's called countervailing power, a power that will have a balance against corporate profit. You gotta have regulation. You can't leave the crackheads in charge of the crack house, bruh. You gotta have regulations. <laughs> see, see what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's it's simple. Like greed is a drug. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't got somebody there to freaking put you in rehab, you're going to overdose. 08 was an overdose, you feel me? And so that has to happen. You need a situation by which you have the reinstatement of uh, labor unions. You need the reconstruction of, like, multiracial, multiethnic coalitions that actually fight for higher wages. And then a lock of the um, – there needs to be an institution in this country that locks prices in place. Like – that's the easy way. As much work as that seems, that's the easy way. The hard way is you got a lot of guns in this country and a lot of people with a lot less than they used to have and a lot of people on medications and a lot less money to afford them medications. What you want? See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's the actual truth. The mass shootings that we have every year is proof of that. Like this is actually Rome is low key actually burning already. Rome burning already like Every time you got a public space and somebody walk in with an AR-15 to mow down children, Rome is burning, bro. And, like, we just got such a big, pretty corporate news culture and entertainment culture. We, you go home and watch The Voice in this depression, and you go home and watch, you know what I'm saying, like Netflix in this Great Depression. You didn't have that the last Great Depression. You know what I mean? So that's the hard way. And pretty soon my fear is that you going to piss off the wrong group of veterans, the people who know how to get the job done and leave them with nothing to lose. They got all this monitoring over activists and people like me who raise awareness and shit like that. That ain't who you need to be looking for. The people who have the neurological conditioning to endure a firefight are the ones who will tip this thing over. It's the Spartacus principle. This is Roman history 101. Those who you teach to kill might kill you if you ain't careful. You better take care of these folks. You better give them their medication. And you, oh, may, yeah. and you better make it affordable. That's the hard way. So it's burning it, burn it down. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, that's what the future of America looks like. And I hope that we have the wisdom and forethought to look at Trump and look at what he's doing and be like, let's do things the easy way. That's the easy way, you know? That's probably the most plainly I've heard it put, and it was great. Thanks, bro. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Do you think in the past, I don't know, give me a timeline if you want to, that we've lost the ability to talk to each other and listen to each other? Or is is that recent or is it not recent? Well, you know, this country been bigoted for a long time. You know what I mean? And like, it's two things happening at the same time. There was a time in the old days where you did know your neighbor. Like you move into a neighborhood, you knew everybody. Everybody played outside. The kids was outside, so you watching the kids, then you looking at the adults outside. Mm -hmm. So everybody talking to each other, right? That has backslid a long way. Oh yeah. Nobody See what I'm saying? Outside. No. Like yeah, no, nobody outside. You don't know these neighbors. Neighbors don't know you. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? And when it comes to the purge, <laughs> like, you're going to really want to know these people who live around you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so so you're right. In a certain way, we're not talking as, as much, but also the siloing that's happening due to technology, the fact that you can put in your headphones and ignore the world, the fact that you can stay inside and not talk to nobody, that need is showing up. And so the desire to have connection is showing up and we're realizing now how how little the tools that we have in place to mimic that can actually effectively fill that need. So this takes me back to something you said earlier that you wanted to talk about at the TED Talk, mm. which I thought was a very interesting sort of thing that you said, is quantum computing. Mm-hmm. How does that factor into us being more dependent on technology and sectioning ourselves off? And Or can you explain what you yeah. were going to talk about even? Like, yeah, the computing power is unfathomable. And this stuff we got already is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like we are like the digital age is pretty impressive. Like the fact that you can talk in real time to somebody across the world yeah. with only like a half a second delay is impressive. Especially how fast we got there in the last hundred years. We're talking about like my great aunt is 99. She is alive. And within her lifetime, we've seen this. And she's very sentient. She'd be on Facebook, everything, right? <laughs> so, but then... Quantum is going to make digital look like digital made analog look. Yeah. Like, we, like if you was to say to somebody from the 1960s, this is a cell phone and I'm about to watch YouTube, they'd be like, where's the film at? Mm-hmm. Like, like, they wouldn't have the framework to understand what your cell phone does and you to take for granted. The same thing is, hap- is about to happen. When you realize that quantum can store all the information on the internet, Every tweet, text, or porn site, they can store it all on a strand of invisible synthetic human DNA that's so small you can't see it. Everything. And we're talking about all these servers condensed, bro. When you talk about using an electron as a conductor, like, that means the smaller, like, you know what I'm saying, coding in qubits, not bits, hyper quantum hyper super positioning. These things are adding up to the fact that we're really going to actually be able to engineer our own reality low-key. Like, we're going to be able to program DNA. Like, it's going to be ridiculous, bro. We'll have the ability for maybe synergy, where we can put our minds into a computer, right? And then, like, I mean, all the sci-fi stuff that you can um, imagine, they're already cracking into it. And we ain't mature like we still be petty as hell. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like read <laughs> like read the comments under a YouTube video. Yes. And it'd be like misspell hatred. Like, <laughs> it's like dumb. Well thought like this person thought they were badass and it was a hella obvious hole in their argument. Like it's like, oh no. Oh no. Like for real, why is the point what is the point of upgrading technology if you ain't upgraded as user? Or can spell. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Like, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, yeah. so I, it's like we're like we're like monkeys with nukes, low key. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just this is a disaster. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it it might be like that's how the human species is supposed to die out. But if you got kids, you want them to like see the world and its beauty. And to me, if you look at the innocence of a baby and its helplessness. That you know what I'm saying, like you got this mama here, like you got this kid here. It's kind of your fault. Yeah. So make the world better so that they could enjoy it, because he didn't ask to be here in the first place, and none of us did. You know, so that's what I think is before us with this technology leap that's already happening. I want to thank you for covering uh, the, for being honest with yourself and talking about being a blackmail privilege. Oh yeah, uh, because. Problem. That's, it's hard for anybody to admit they have privilege. And being honest and authentic about it on your TED Talk was impressive. Thank you. I mean, it's like I appreciate the kudos for that, but the work is so much realer than that. Like, the work is every day. And when I say the work, it's like I have a lifetime of conditioning to overcome, and it's a freight train of momentum that's guiding behaviors that are completely toxic and broken. And the truth about that TED Talk is I, after the fame, ended up breaking somebody's heart due to my addictive male freaking chauvinistic patterns of womanizing that was just so horrible that I had to either take a look at myself 
or not want to be myself in this body no more. That was my choice. You see what I'm saying? Because the pain was so intense. I don't like hurting people. I just don't like it. You know what I mean? And what I did was just very self-motivated. I was just after my own, you know what I'm saying, gratification. I was just mm -hmm. after me. I was a squirrel trying to get nut. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. But then I started looking at what's pushing the squirrel, what's programming the squirrel. Oh, damn. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I picked up these programs from everywhere. And there was this mm -hmm. kind of sacred cow like you know because of what's happening and it's real with black men like we do be getting shot by the police hella we have five times the likelihood of being killed like in a in a in an unarmed situation with a law enforcement officer than like a white person you feel me that's true and then you add on to it what happens in the hood with us killing each other and it's a hard road to hold when you look at the targeting of the prison industrial complex the sentencing the marijuana laws you name it but then also black women getting killed by the police too like you know what I'm saying and then they're getting killed by us that's what I was gonna bring up like. yeah like black men like I just like my my homegirl Venus Bender just got killed by her like husband oh and and like on some domestic violence and we don't even know what we don't even know the circumstance that led to it. He, he not only killed her she was pregnant and then he killed his mama at the same time he killed three generations of his family on one day what kind of things is going on in us that we not healed like and so it's like, damn, the most important thing for us to do is to heal. And then the first important thing is for us to do is like acknowledge that we're healing, need healing. And that something I, I've been able to do was uh, we, something about how I was raised and how I came up. Men tend to pay attention to me. You see what I'm saying? Especially younger men tend to pay attention to what I'm saying. And so it's one thing if a woman says it, you know what I mean? And like yes. a woman... But when a man who you low-key kind of respect in that way, in, in that hood sense, it tells you, bro, if you don't get your life together, you're going to kill yourself and her. You know what I'm saying? Or one of the homies going to kill you. This is toxic masculinity. You probably never knew that. So what she talking about from the feminist aspect, you experiencing in the, in the freaking trap, in the hood. It's the same thing. So being able to break it down like that, it was my duty to say that. If I don't say that, I don't know what's going to happen in the lack of me standing up and speaking out. That's why I, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and mm. I, I think about the incarceration of, of young black men and mm. I, I, it, for possession and, and yeah. lower, lower crimes like that. And I think if, if we don't have higher rates of that, we can get the younger black men mm. back out and get mm. that toxic masculinity. Mm. I mean, it's yeah. ripping families apart. It's tearing yeah. apart neighborhoods. I mean, it's yeah. doing exactly and what the damage that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's it's important to have male figures out there who dis, who give role models, I guess. And, and I have some very close black girlfriends who we've talked about this, mm -hmm. and they really they really do receive the the short end of the stick. Mm -hmm. They they do. And like if you look like bro, I love women, but if you love women though. Like love, actually love them, not in like the little like gross way, but like yeah. actually like love them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then it's like you gonna want to protect them even against yourself, mm. like even against your worst inclinations, and that means that it's the hard, excruciating work of looking at yourself in the mirror. Like this, is what I became. Mm. This is what I allowed these forces to make of me, and if this don't get rectified, I'm gonna be and I'm gonna be another oppressive force. In the life of an innocent person And I know I hate oppression Well I'm gonna join it You see what I mean mm -hmm. Like those, those are the kind of questions That have to be asked To oneself That's I appreciate things to do too. It's hella hard Every mm. day bro <laughs> Every, Every day, day I'm, I'm dealing with this You know what I'm saying <laughs> But if I don't I, I, comes, I, yeah. I, I know what happens I, I really appreciate hearing that Because um, In the wake of Me Too I started thinking yeah. a lot About that too I've always considered myself you know, women's rights um, mm -hmm. defender. I did it at Amnesty International in my life and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I look back, you know, at my dating life in my 20s and late mm -hmm. teens, I was like, there were so many instances where I was not ethical yeah. in, in, in the way that I dealt in, mm -hmm. you know, with, um, with dating and, mm -hmm. and, and relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Me Too is not just about the abuse of power, right? It's, if you want to call it being a gentleman or want to mm -hmm. call it ethical dating, yeah. um, that's, that's a very important conversation that, that we are not having. And it's, you know, so great to, you know, hear you, you know, being a, a voice on this issue. Thank you. And, and for real, for real, if women didn't stand up, I wouldn't have this. Mm -hmm. So women standing up is going to help awaken 
men because in the final analysis we all spirits like we're all just souls and I, my, my spiritual belief is the, the gender itself like the awareness that is behind your eyes and my eyes is genderless sexless and raceless ultimately when you look at a baby it don't know none of that when you look at a baby's eyes it just be glowing and it just be like vulnerable and teach me you know and so and they might bring their own spiritual gifts to the planet that we need to interpret and listen to as well but the bottom line is that all these isms that we done placed on it is a form of conditioning that's enslaving the, the spirit you feel me and if you on the winning supposed privileged end of this spectrum mm -hmm. if your privilege come at somebody else's expense ultimately that's gonna fall apart because they're gonna rebel they're going to rebel, they're going to resist, and then you're going to feel threatened in some kind of way, and then it's this hella way that you shouldn't be feeling because somebody want to get free, which means that you're going to get free eventually too. So it's something that we got to consider even as we consider um, our own oppression. Like how could we contribute to the oppression of other people? And mine was definitely toxic black masculinity. Definitely, you know. I grew up in the military, so we had a bunch of different races around. We had yeah. all different sorts of people. And, you know, growing up, I never really experienced a lot of what most people would traditionally say is racism. Because I spent mm -hmm. a lot of time in civilian communities. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until about high school and college when I lived in North Florida mm -hmm. where I started experiencing I lived in North Florida, too, for college, yeah. dog. Where'd you go? Florida a Oh, uh, Florida State. Oh, you was across uh, the yeah. way? <laughs> you was on grandma? Oh, shoot. My man was right off, right, right, right across from yeah. Gaines, bro. Yeah. Nope. But, no, I experienced a lot of it there, and that's where I really started realizing it. And yeah, that was yeah. shortly after 9-11, too. So that's when everything started kicking so in. So you was in fam, you, the same, you was in there the same time I was, bro. Oh, uh, well, I was there um, 2006, 2008. Oh, 2006 to 8? Yeah. Okay, so I was there actually on 9-11. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah, I was actually before, there right? at FAMU on 9-11. No, All right, but yeah, I yeah. moved to North Florida shortly after 9-11. Oh, got yeah. you. Okay, well, yeah. We got stationed in uh, Panama City. Panama City, yep. yep. It's just an hour drive west. Yep. Florabama. 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 Lower Alabama, yeah. Hell yeah. But, yeah, so... I. I understand what you're saying. I appreciate you saying all that. I really do. No doubt, man. If I can help out, that's what I'm here to do, bro. Sure. You know. Well, I learned so much about you in, in the few minutes that we had. Mm. I was going to say, can you be a guest on every show <laughs> uh, that we have? But um, mm. we've also heard that you do slam poetry. Yeah. So yes. if, if something comes to mind that is relevant to what we uh, felt, what we discussed, feel free to share it with us. Yeah. Love it, yeah. Uh, I wrote this one It's called Man Child It's like hardcore I don't know You want something that'll pick you up Or something that'll get real uh, Cause I got two of them And they're both kinda real So Man Alright I'ma just pick one This is why I do poetry It's called Mount Olympus And it goes like this Spoken word Is like the church that got it right no more lies about celestial dictators in the sky. We are God, rebelling one poem at a time, and I like it. Give me a temple where everybody's the pastor. We high priests alchemizing our disaster into laughter. With a notebook and a tablet casting out these demon bastards, break their back with every stance, and I like it. This is gospel optimized. Besides, it's about time that country club called heaven got democratized. Because their version is just a birdcage for angels. It's gated and they hate it. But our words are wildfires. Be my underbrush and leaves. Hotter than a superhero bar fight up inside the Justice League. And maybe the stage is Mount Olympus. And you're a baby god with clouds for diapers. Earthquakes in your dimples. So every time you speak, your words are groundbreaking. And now every clown that downed you's foundation is found shaking. So stick around. Why be buried when you can level them instead? Don't be be in such a rush we got forever to be dead because the life you hate is what the unborn are clamoring for gun in your mouth trying to exit while they stand at the door hoping to feel your heartbreak and wonder can it transform if they write it out and turn their ink pen to the hammer at thor if this existence wasn't difficult far and beyond past hard where would we get the grit to turn planet earth into asgard so this is for those who know the razor blades can kiss open the wrist ain't scared of no blood 
Every day is when we chose to exist. Write it out. Compose a picture. Hose in your wrist. That's holy scripture. But you overcame like Job. Never froze and never tripped up. Now you woke like Folgers crystals. Your soul lit up like a candle. So fuck hate and expand hope for gay, straight, and trans folk. Because this here is the church that got it right. And we put the chronic in chronicles with the proverbs of our lives. Smoke these words like sacraments so these psalms will never die. I hope you like it. Hope my testaments cause your deceptions to exit distant breeds truth and if they say he feeds the multitudes with the revelations that he brews because it's real light it shines on all from natasha to spence shouted to jericho falls and every god is convinced because i write these lines like breadcrumbs through the maze of my mind when my ego gives me false deceits trying to be loose almighty zeus of fury when theo means god in greek know thyself is the base theorem of psychology. See, life is a self-study course. This is my thesis in theology. What's the name of your religion? Preach me your pantheon till I ride bareback across clouds and nimbus, and I put my life in your hands as you recite and chant like this here stage. was Mount Olympus. Wow. That, that was beautiful. Know thyself Incredible. and you will know the universe. Yeah, right, right. Beautiful. You know. Thank you for that. That was no great. No doubt, bro. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we can go to final thoughts now. <laughs> I, I, I need some time. To you need a minute? <laughs> okay. I'm going to start to sound I'll, – I'll start with final thoughts. I'm going to start to sound like a broken record with this impeachment. But uh, where are we going? What are we doing? Um, Nancy, you got a piece of paper in your hand. What's up? Like, uh, it's just – it's getting really frustrating. We, we all knew this is where it was going to end. What, what was your goal? What were you trying to accomplish? That's that's my real question. I'm going to lighten it up a bit. Uh, final thoughts. If I'm going to see another person say that they're going to end uh, they're going to end contact with toxic people, sugar and uh, pajama pants, I'm going to shoot somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Next thought. Um, my final thought is going to be a wish. Happy blue year. Blue year. Mm. Ah. Yeah. That's what's up. I hope the progressive movement stay on progress and get out of the world of rhetoric into reality. That's what I hope. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for Politically Pissed. Everybody want to say goodbye? Bye. See ya. <laughs> I'll be back, y'all. Yeah, fuck them when we say we're not with them We're solid and we don't